Alright, hello and welcome again uh, to another encounter lesson. We're getting toward the end of the winter encounter uh, here pretty soon within the next week or two. I'm really hoping to have a little preview with uh, Reverend Kip Rush who's writing for the winter. Uh, that's going to start out in Ezekiel and then we're going to go toward, uh, of course, the birth of Christ and then pick up the book of John for the rest of the, uh, for the spring and so on and so forth until Easter. Um, before we uh, get into that, I do have some more good news. I've got some really good news that next week, hopefully, we'll be able to share. And it's going to make this uh, channel, this uh, encounter journey, even better than it is now. So tune in next week for a really big announcement. I think everybody's going to be really happy uh, with what's going to happen next week. I hope you're interested. All right, so uh, for... Uh, again, November 14th, 2021, 11th lesson for this quarter. Uh, we're going to be talking about Amos and a very, uh, you know, very famous passage. One that was used by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in his I Have a Dream speech. Uh, and uh, I would encourage um, everyone, if you do have the opportunity, to just go back and read that speech um, and see how uh, King connects justice in this image of this ever-flowing stream uh, and how that is connected with justice is in his mind in the 1960s and then take some time to reflect on uh, the conversations that we're having about race and society and in the church and what's different and you know and do so not in a way in which you're trying to uh, break down people but let's do that in a way in which we're learning maybe a little more about what justice is because there are uh, different versions of justice we'll get into that uh, there's a, you know, depending on where you're coming from or what your ultimate goal is, justice can be different, right? So, uh, but we'll get into some of that. Um, our prayer for illumination today, or I guess I should say the scripture selection is Amos 1, 1 through 2, 5, 14 through 15, and then 21 through 24, and then also uh, John 7, 37 through 38, which Jesus talks about being the uh, living water, right? So... Our prayer for illumination today. God of grace, we are easily blinded to what you value the most. Open our eyes and ears so that we can be corrected and instructed by your word today. Help us to understand holiness and justice through the teachings and commands of your prophets. Amen. Alright, so uh, Reverend Derek asked us to look at the uh, Bible Project video about uh, living water. Uh, I would again encourage you to do so. Try your best. Bring in a laptop or... Maybe you have a TV at the church. Whatever you can do, I would encourage you to use those. Received a lot of uh, good communication from people who had never used those videos, and they, they just really, really enjoyed it. So, um, But what Derek wants us to do then is to think of water. Like, And what Amos wants us to do is think of how water runs down this ever-flowing stream Jesus brings up. So water is a is the start and so I've thought about this a lot there's a lot of ways to go when you talk about the image of water when it comes to spirituality obviously there's a cleansing right when justice is flowing down um, that which is underneath it is getting cleansed right water is a cleansing agent in scripture um, but then I also think of things like uh, standing water as opposed to that living water that flowing water so if you're in standing water uh, we get our yard sprayed for mosquitoes and the guy, I have a little waterfall, or a little, little, trust me, it's very little, but um, he's, you know, a lot of the times I'll turn it off because I got a leak 
and so if I let it go too long it strains the motor so I'll just turn it off and if it rains there'll just be water standing and he said that that uh, that creates bad things it creates a place where mosquitoes can go and and if you if you've ever been to a swamp you can see the difference between standing water and then water that flows right standing water grows mossy and algae or whatnot but flowing water is clear it's always rushing and so that's when Jesus says a living water will flow from you uh, and then uh, first time I went to uh, Las Vegas in my life I went to go see the Hoover Dam uh, and actually flew over it but there's this just sense of sometimes and I, I remember thinking to myself like maybe we Christians are like dams we're withholding God's blessing from coming through uh, to others uh, so that's that's something that uh, Derek is going to bring up a theme that sometimes we we don't allow the righteousness, the justice, and the holiness of God to flow through us for whatever reason we keep it back. Maybe for ourselves because we're afraid it's going to run out. Maybe God's grace isn't uh, sufficient for everyone, so we got to keep as much as we can. I'm being sarcastic, but anyway. Uh, and then the other thing that water does is water forms and shapes, right? And so when uh, again I flew in a helicopter over the Hoover Dam and the Grand Canyon and the Grand Canyon you know was created with water flowing through it and over the centuries and over the millennia it water breaks through and forms and shapes uh, the places where it flows and so when Amos calls for justice to run down like water it's also forming and shaping that which it that which it flows over and so that's another sense in which maybe we can think of water Ultimately, when we think of justice flowing like like a like like a river or like water flowing water, um, we're thinking about human flourishing. Like back in the Garden of Eden, uh, there's four rivers, and these rivers bring life, and they're flowing, and and everything can grow. And so, uh, when we call down this these waters of justice, we're saying that it, it's going to saturate and give life to all all of society. And then we are uh, through our identification with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that lives within us are channels of that water that bring life and bring human the possibility of human flourishing into the world but if we don't and we dam up that water or we are disobedient then that water's not flowing and then humans not just your tribe but humanity itself cannot flourish in this good creation if we're not being streams of water coming from God to, to the world um, so, um, anyway, that's a pretty good, I think, start on the introduction. That gives you enough to think about, something to pull for class. So then that leads us to the exploring the scripture section. I really did like this lesson. Um, once I started getting in and digging deep in it, um, I, I think I learned a lot from Derek and I learned a lot from scripture. So, um, so anyway, we haven't talked about Amos for a while in the encounter. Amos is considered one of the quote-unquote minor prophets, as Derek brings up. When we say minor prophets, we don't mean in stature or important. We simply mean that it's a smaller book. You have the big books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and they're large. They're, they many scrolls, many pages of scrolls. But uh, the minor prophets are oftentimes can be written in a very small, um, on a very small scroll, or you know, it's only one page, two pages long in your Bible. So anyway. Um, so it's so he's a minor prophet, uh, and I've always identified with Amos. Amos is my favorite prophet for this very reason. 
Um, when I became a Christian, I certainly wasn't seeking to become a Christian. Neither was I seeking to be a minister. Um, but I felt the call of God for my life. And so Amos 7.14, uh, Amos says, I'm neither the prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm a caretaker of trees and, sh and, and shepherding a caretaker of sycamore trees, right? So, but, uh, Amos 7.15 says, God told me to go and prophesy, right? And so I've always said before I became a preacher, I worked in the restaurant business. I would always tell people that I was a fryer fish and a flipper of hamburgers, but God said go, so I went, right? So I get what Amos is, is about there. It's He's being obedient, even though it's not necessarily his wheelhouse. So we can, um, we can dig that. I can dig that anyway. All right. The other part of this is Amos was called to be a prophet in a time of prosperity. And if you've ever had to endure that, um, uh, you might also know the, uh, the hard um, job that you have. When things are going great in society, um, it, is, it is so, so hard to do ministry because nobody wants to listen to you. Everything's good. Uh, we oftentimes, we, you know, a lot of us that are listening remember 9-11 and the massive outpouring of support at churches and attendance went up. In just about every single church, really all you had to do was unlock the door on Sunday and people were coming in for an X amount of time. We had lots of prosperity going on and then in one, you know, one hour, uh, there was a sense of fear or sense of, you know, lostness that, that came over people. And, and when that happened, people turned back toward, uh, turned back toward finding answers in their spirituality and not necessarily in their materialism. Uh, it faded away, of course. Um, but it, you know, that's the way of humanity. Uh, I just wanted to bring up one of my favorite Bible verses. Uh, it's two verses, three verses. Um, it's from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. I love this. This is the, uh, the writer in verse 7 says, Two things I ask of you. Do not deny them to me before I die. Remove far from me the false, excuse me, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that I need, or I shall be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I shall be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Like, I, I love those scriptures, those types of scriptures that say, Look, don't don't give me too much to where I become that, that person who forgets that I need my daily bread from you. Uh, but don't forget to give me my daily bread because then I might steal. And if I steal, I'll bring dishonor to your name. And so that's that's uh, that's where we're at uh, in in this particular prophet. Like you have the elite class that uh, is oppressing people, and then you have the very very poor class who's doing what they can to survive, but still might not doing things right in the sight of the Lord either. But the emphasis on in Amos is the conduct of the upper class or the the ones in charge much more than it is about the the poor um, so anyway uh, so but what this prophet does is try to strike that balance uh, in trying to enjoy the things which God gives you uh, even being successful but then also not forgetting the poor and not forgetting your social responsibility and not taking just because you need one more dollar, right? That's what we're trying to get from the book of Amos.
Uh, Amos also uh, highlights the need for the nation of Israel to follow the law as a communal um, group, like the whole nation needs to turn back to the law. But within the nation, Amos also calls out those individuals which are doing evil things. And so Amos makes sure that we understand that uh, following the law of God is not just a national or communal thing. It is, but it also comes down to you because communities are made up of individuals. And what you allow to go on as an individual in your own life or in your organization, your community, that carries over. And so Amos is saying, as a nation you're bad, and then as people you're not doing right. Right, so there's that communal and individual uh, responsibility that we have. Um, now, here's the thing: like in Amos's day, we'll talk about this a little later too. But it's not a one-to-one -one comparison from Israel to America or democracy. Uh, Israel was pretty much a theocracy. They did have a human king, but the law dictated the customs. Whereas in America, while we have a relationship with faith and, and politics, ultimately we have no established religion and our laws are not geared to favoring any religion, but it's geared to the, good, the, the common good of all people regardless of, of backgrounds and diversities. God is not the one, you don't look to the Holy Scripture to solve a problem because not every American is uh, part of the church. Whereas the concept of the Jewish nation state was that everyone followed the Torah or the law, whatever, you know. So anyway, um, so what I like to do here, a lot of times we talk about, even today, we talk about these social injustices that are happening and people can point to maybe one or two events, but to understand um, what social injustices were happening in the days of Amos and then be able, be able to name uh, social injustices um, to bring them down to where we can understand them. So I want to talk about three that are talked about in um, the book of Amos. So if you go to Amos chapter 2, let me read verses, I think it's 7 through 9. So Amos chapter 2 verses 7 through 9 reads as follows. I'll actually, I'll start with 6, and then I'll go through 8. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth, and push the afflicted out of the way. Father and son go unto the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink wine with uh, fines they imposed. So in those verses you see that there is this uh, debauchery, sexual sin, and when it says that they lay themselves on garments uh, taken in pledge, that means not only are that they lay themselves down, not only are they committing these sexual sins, uh, they're doing it uh, on clothes in which poor people had to give their coat in collater for collateral. So their garments are laying on the ground at the altar. They're using those garments to have their fun. And so that's one example of uh, the way in which uh, uh, the Israelites, the upper class, are uh, taking advantage of the poor. If you go to uh, 
Amos 5.11 says, Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, and you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. So here you see this economic disadvantage. So they're squeezing, almost like grapes, squeezing the last bit of juice they can possibly squeeze from them. And then taking that and then building these quote-unquote houses of hewn stone. It's not as though they're just trying to make it. They're not the local small business that employs people that would really like to give the $15 an hour, but they simply can't because boss ain't really making 15 bucks an hour. They're trying to survive. It's this, you know, it's the it's those big banks in which um, a bank can basically cause a, a crisis, a lending crisis, and then the CEO gets like a billion dollar payout, $500 million, whatever it is. I mean, you can see some contemporary stuff here. All right, the next then would be uh, Amos 8.5. So Amos 8.5. All right, so uh, let's get the context here. Four through five. So hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over? so that we may sell grain in the Sabbath, so that we may offer wheat for sale. We will make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances. So you see with these folks, they're saying, oh, when will this festival be over so that we can continue making money? When will this Sabbath be over so that we can work again? And once we start working, we're going to make sure we make the balances unfair. And so, in other words, they're selling... Um, less product for the same amount of money and so again dishonest trading that can happen quite a bit uh, here in America as well so those are some of the specific things that um, that were happening in Amos's day that he was uh, prophesying against uh, and so what I what I was thinking is that this is kind of echoed in, in like uh, the different prophets like Isaiah at 56, 58, Isaiah 58, I think, about true worship. Like, sure, you observe the Sabbath, but then you hit each other. You fight. Is this what you call true worship, right? And so my question that I think when I read through the prophets is, is what comes first? It's like a chicken or the egg thing. Is it bad worship, and then you get a bad society or a bad culture, or does culture go bad, and then you get bad worship? I don't know. But what you can tell, if worship isn't right, society's not right especially in Israel, where it was kind of, like I said, a theocracy. But it's the same today. Bad worship leads to bad culture. Bad culture leads to bad worship or no worship. So, what do you do? Alright, so next that goes to our Digging Deeper section. Um, one of my favorite, favorite scriptures, uh, verses in all of scripture, is in Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And I will read that to you. This is where Amos starts talking more about the personal sin of the upper class in Israel as opposed to what we were kind of reading about the societal sins. So Amos chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Fat cows of Basham. I love this. So Amos chapter 4 verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Basham, who are on Mount Samaria. 
who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, Bring me something to drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, the time is surely coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. Through breaches in the wall you shall leave, each one straight ahead, and you shall be flung into Harmon, says the Lord. So what Amos is trying to say here is that justice and holiness, they come together. You can't be just if you're not acting toward holiness, right? You can't be holy if you're not ensuring justice uh, in, in your community or in your city. If you are cheating people, you are cheating God. You are not being holy, if you will. Um, so then what Derek does is talk about how we experience the mercy and grace of God and we apply ourselves to holiness. It should affect the way that we treat other people as individuals, right? We as individuals are concerned about the holiness of God. Uh, our experience before a holy God and then our experience of grace that we receive when we hopefully are like Isaiah and we fall to our fall on our face and say, you know, away from me, for my eyes have seen God, right? We can't fathom the holiness of God. And so we repent and God gives us grace and God gives us the Holy Spirit. And when that happens and we've been exposed to the holiness of God and the, the horrible people that we are, it cannot help. We should not be able to do anything but to treat people with humility, love, and grace as God has treated us. You might... Uh, you might remember uh, the parable uh, with Jesus, and and he said, you know, the one who um, has been forgiven much loves much, right? And so I think when we can recognize our lack of holiness as we stand before a holy God, and we recognize the grace which God gives us, uh, then I think we can't be like that unmerciful servant like right who was forgiven but then beats his servant forgiven millions of dollars but beats the servant and throws him in jail for owing him 10. Um, you, you can't do that and so Amos is saying look if you're gonna act evil evil is gonna come upon you if you don't repent alright so then that then leads us to the learning from the scripture section uh, Again, we talk about this this holiness thing. Derek brought up uh, in the uh, exploring the scripture uh, section uh, the Ten Commandments. How like the Ten Commandments, he says the first four are vertical, to which concern your relationship with God. If that's right, and you're you're doing the right things, you're worshiping correctly, you're believing the right things, and and you love the right things, then five through ten then have to do with your horizontal relationships. So again, 1 through 4, he says vertical. 5 through 10, horizontal. If you get the God part right, you also get the human part right. If you're not getting the human part right, you're not getting the God part right either. Um, but I would say this. I've done a lot of studying on the Sabbath, and I think it is the most incredible principle that's ever been like revealed to human beings. So really, when you look at the Ten Commandments, 1, 2, and 3... Are vertical right so I'm the Lord your God you'll have no other gods before me um, don't make any graven images don't take the Lord's name in vain the fourth one is the Sabbath right and then the Sabbath actually is both vertical and horizontal it's not just vertical it is the bridge between God and humanity 
and those who practice Sabbath, and a nation that practice the Sabbath, uh, will be able to get the first three correct, and then five through ten correct. So let me read from Deuteronomy chapter seven, chapter five. Um, I, I teach a world religions class in community college, and so I've had to study the Sabbath a lot. And once I, man, once I figured this out, I, I have become just an absolute fanatic about the Sabbath. I'm not very good at practicing it all the time, but it's a revolutionary idea still. So let me read from Deuteronomy. It's the retelling of the Ten Commandments. And in this fourth commandment, Deuteronomy chapter 13, ver chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. It says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male or female slave, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slaves may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So you see what's happening there? Like in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 18 or 20, um, you, you get the abbreviated version. In the retelling in Deuteronomy, you then begin to see that uh, God uses the Sabbath as a way of caring for creation. So think about the political debates we got going on, you know, the G20 summit or climate conference. Um, there was a way in which the land rested, the animals rested, right? And then think about the labor laws, you know, people with dignity in their work, whether it's a human or a living wage or whether it's uh, proper time off or time for health or whatever. In the, in the Sabbath, you treated your your slave, your fellow worker, um, your servant, with dignity. You were a slave. You don't treat people as slaves. Uh, then you have, of course, um, the the sense in which the Sabbath is a worship day, right? So because God commanded it, you rest and then you recreate. It's almost a recreation of the Garden of Eden every every Sabbath. And so in the fourth commandment, if you can get that right, the correct relationship between you and God that flows to the correct relationship you have with one another so man study the Sabbath as much as you can it's the key to like I think the world today so anyway um, but that's what Amos is getting to proper relationship with God proper relationship with other human beings uh, and then I wanted to read uh, from uh, Derek quotes the confession of faith it's uh, section 6 or section 6.31 says this says section 6 of the Cumberland Presbyterian Confession of Faith informs us how we are to respond to the injustices of the world again remember the Sabbath says you were slaves you act differently once you're in power says the 631 says the covenant community affirms the lordship of Christ who sought out the poor the oppressed the sick and the helpless in her corporate life and through her individual members, the church is an advocate for all victims of violence and all those whom the law or society treats as less than persons for whom Christ died. Such advocacy involves not only opposition to all unjust laws and forms of injustice, but even more support for those attitudes and actions which embody the way of Christ, which is to overcome evil with good. Alright, I'm not going to get uh, too far into that, but... 
basically that section 631 of our confession of faith is exactly what Amos is trying to get at in his preaching. And if you read through the book of Amos, you can say, ah, oh, huh, well, who knew? Our confession of faith is based on the themes and the scriptures of, of the Bible. And so uh, I encourage you to do that. Uh, so as far as applying the scripture section, uh, here's three questions and then one kind of do. Uh, the first question is, how should our political and social opinions reflect the faithfulness of God? So I struggle with this one. Obviously, we're supposed to reflect God, but we're not a theocracy, right? And so one of the uh, uh, scriptures that I've thought on for quite a while now is when Paul says, who am I to judge somebody else's servants? Mike, right? So there's a difference between the world and and the the way the world accepts things or doesn't accept other things. There's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of, of man, right? Uh, so, like, uh, if you ever want to read City of God uh, by Augustine, uh, it's basically saying, you know, the church is in the world, so the church has certain responsibilities of the world. But, ultimately, we're not citizens of the world, right? We belong to a different kingdom. So y'all can work that out in your Sunday school class and think about that, uh, the pros and cons of that. It would be nice, maybe, if everybody thought like we thought, but they don't. And probably in your Sunday school class, there's not two people that agree with everything either. Um, question number two, how can you embody your worship of God more fully? Does Sunday morning inform your Monday through Saturday life? Um, I have something that I hope every time I write an encounter lesson that I can answer the head, heart, and the hands. Right. So uh, when, I try, when I write an encounter lesson, which I'm sure y'all have loved, um, I always ask myself, what do I want? You know, I'll ask this, what do I want them to know? What, them, what do I want them to feel? And then what do I want them to do in response? So when I'm writing lessons, head, heart, hands. right? What do I want them to believe? What do I want them to feel convicted of? And then how do I want them to respond? Uh, and so every time you go into a worship service or, or a Bible study, think about those questions. What do I know? What do I feel? How should I respond? And then number three... Why do you think Amos used such harsh language like hate, despise, will not accept to the people of God? Did this language get your attention? Yes, yeah, so like this is a big one. Like, right, um, prophets use like binary words. The Psalms use binary words. Um, there's not a lot of gray with John the Baptist or with Elijah or with Amos uh, and with Isaiah. Like a prophet is not, is not, does not think in gray terms. Um, and so, what does that teach us? Do we continue that hermeneutic? Do we not? If you say God will not accept certain behaviors, does that make you um, exclusive? Uh, whatever the subject, don't jump to any conclusions. Like, it's probably not good to be a gossip in church. God will not accept that, right? He won't. No matter how much loving and graceful God is, God doesn't accept that behavior. Uh, you, you still need to repent of these things. Uh, okay, and then the fourth thing that we see in our applying the scripture section is pray for the church to be the agent of change God calls us to be. So that's how I'll end today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you all very much. And again, next week, I'm really excited, and you will be too, and you'll be thankful. But we'll see you next week.